Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. from our show sponsor, Apple White Games. Make sure you check the show notes for the link to their new Kickstarter. Explore City of Criminals, find the lost scholar, and discover the forgotten world hidden at the center of Aragarth. Journey to the center of Aragarth is a D&D 5D campaign for high-level parties looking to test their abilities. It's live on Kickstarter, starting in February until the 28th. So level up your characters, and don't miss your chance to join the adventure. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So we are once again going to be diving into the mailbag from our questions from the audience episode, which at this point has been a few months old at this point. I'm trying to even remember. I guess that was right around the time that we went on vacation back in July was when we did the questions mm-hmm. from the audience episode. But How deep is uh, that still? I think that this might actually be the last one, actually. I think this might be thinking, the one that we decided was going to be a full episode. Yeah. I was thinking four yeah. months, six months later might be a good time to put out a new one. Maybe in the new yeah. year. I think that's not a bad yeah. idea at all. Mm. As a matter of fact, I responded to a question on one of their one of our Facebook groups that we visit and we talk with, and mentioned the fact that we are probably due for another one sometime soon. Yep. Yeah, I would agree with that. It was a lot uh, of fun, anyway. It was a lot of fun, and it was. It's always awesome to go ahead and hear feedback from our audience, and uh, for them to go ahead and let's be honest, for them to tell us what they what want they to be hearing, hear. what they right. want to be hearing, and what uh, what we should be doing to go ahead and keep our show uh, most entertaining as possible. I know that the three of us have some ideas about what we want to do for 2022. All that to go ahead and say, gentlemen, down in TTJ South, how are things in the great state of Connecticut today? It's wonderful. The sun Things is shining. Down here. We've got a nice warmness going on. Uh, much better than mm-hmm. the terrible wind and rain we had yesterday. Oh, God, yeah. You know? the wet, but, yeah. Uh, 
This day was pretty crappy. Yeah, we had uh, we had freezing rain up here until about one o'clock in the afternoon or so. But uh, but being able to to stay in the house and gather by by the fireplace and listen to some fine tabletop journeys, uh, Patreon actual play, and get that edited and finished, uh, certainly made for a sunnier uh, day inside than outside. So that was uh, that was yeah, fine. Fantastic. We have some, all that to go ahead and say. We are going back to our questions from the audience episode, and today we're going to be talking about a question that came from friend of the show. Tim Burns. Tim asked us at that point, how do you take the game sessions themselves and to bring them beyond the table? How do you take, as I coined in my notes here uh, so cleverly, how do you take your downtime and make it uptime? How do you invite your players to participate in the game when they're not sitting around the table, either virtually or in person and throwing shiny math rocks and that kind of thing? I certainly have a lot of ideas on this, and they are very much informed by my history doing live-action role-playing because of how common this is in that kind of community. But Glenn, I wanted to start with you today, uh, because I suspect that Lewanika's answer is going to be similar to mine. Where does your background come in with taking taking game sessions and bringing them beyond the session proper, so to speak? It's been an interesting evolution. When I played when I was younger, we didn't do as much away from the table, except for quick side conversations where somebody was trying to score the DM's attention to talk about something super secret or private. <laughs> but as I evolved, and I think that all of our answers are going to come into the same place where I first started hitting the biggest amount of plot movement and character interaction between games was with live action role playing when I was playing Vampire the Masquerade with y'all in Maine from Connecticut. And when you live in Connecticut and you're playing in a live action role playing game in Maine, you do a lot of things remotely until except for the weekends where you can make it up there. But that's where it really did start to scenes, evolve into more. Way. I have to cut in. Those were great scenes. Continue. They were we used to that, that's one of the ways that we used to do it is Lee came down for guard weekends and sometimes we'd have him to talk to and work with and then we'd send it back to the storyteller who was running the game and oh. she at the time helped set up a couple of party line phone calls even because back then we didn't have quite the ease that we have now for you know right. text and email and everything else yeah. but we worked out lots of ways back then but now it's even easier and I know yeah. that Lee's going to talk about this because it's huge in his game and. I run a Facebook messenger group for most of my games separately from the actual game now as well. Not just for not just for me to be able to communicate with the players and the players to communicate with me, but because I picked it up from Lee's game, the players will start interacting on their own in it, which can be yeah. pretty interesting. So that really opens up the possibilities because if you can create a dedicated chat for your group away from the table, at that point, you can do anything you want. I mean, unless you're looking for private breakouts, because uh, yeah. it's, it's a group chat with everybody. Scenes can be unfolded. Talk about where do you guys want to go next can be done so you can be ready. Game start with where, where they're headed. There's lots and lots of ways that you can yeah. do it. Aside from the Facebook Messenger group chat, that's as far as I've specifically gone on my own. But I do know that there are some players that may have created a group chat separate from Lee in his game, Lee Wanika in his game, so that mm -hmm. he doesn't know what they're plotting. That's always the fun um, part. So there's lots of ways that this can go, but um, I'm going to let one of you guys go with it. Really? No. With that particular game, I played my favorite character, LARP character of all time, Quentin Marcus. Quentin Marcus, yeah. Who, the character your son's name af named after, even though he was evil. The, <laughs> the character that players in future APs may actually have some interactions with. Little spoiler alert. Oh, I remember you um, saying about that. Yeah, I love yeah. that character. But in that situation, we had to do a lot of scenes like that because that was a, a particular LARP that had really 
two actual sessions at the spaces where our main group LARPed. Everything else was different people in the game playing their characters happen to get together yeah. for an evening to do it. Sometimes it was, we're at house to LARP, but it's just the people yep. who were there at that time. Other times we were just there doing something else and all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're all here. I had this thing that I wanted to do. We meet for Denny's or something and blah, jump into character. It was yeah. the epitome of where this question goes is, what do you do when you're not in a session? That was an asymmetrical game in that it wasn't, we meet once a month to do the game with all these people. It was that game cropped up when interesting things happened in the narrative. And the storyteller in that case yep. did a really great job of keeping that flowing. Asymmetrical games are very difficult to do. It was more like a live action play by post. It's the way I would think about it in my head in that these people were together. She cut a scene. She, Put, said, hey, here's a scene, and she'd do it. Or we'd do yep. a scene and tell her about it, and she'd factor that into the overall story. Really brilliant yeah. work. But I imagine very challenging from a storyteller perspective. I would imagine so. And so that's where I wanted to go is – we talked about how the technology of today makes this much easier than it was even 20-ish years ago. 15, sounds wrong. So here's the – so that that is definitely a, a fact that you have more options available. You've got Discord. You've got Facebook. You've got Twitch. You've got all sorts of ways to build spaces where your mm. game can interact other than at the game table. And I think that is definitely one half of the equation. But the question that I want to go ahead and throw out and start with is once you've sort of once once you've sort of led the horse to water, how do you actually get it to drink? How do you get players to use that community? What are ways that as a game runner or a storyteller that you can encourage your players to to use the environment that you've piece together to answer your question the the easiest thing for me to do is to say as a storyteller i didn't set it up i mean i i, I am blessed with some fantastic players in my various groups the one that comes to mind that is flourishing is not specifically a creation of mine I created the chat because I had something I needed to get to everybody quickly and posting to the Facebook page wouldn't have got that job done. What it became after that is something that the players did organically. So I didn't have to ask players to partake in this. The players actually generated this because of their engagement with the game and their desire to continue engaging with the game. Bearing in mind that the group in question was a group of individuals that mostly with one exception, Actually, the entire group was formed out of people I did not know. It came out of Drinking and Dragons. It's my Monday night group. So I did not know any of them personally, though we have some common friends. At the time, it was these people came together. They agreed to do the group. I did a quick chat because our first session that we planned, I just wanted to give them the heads up here. Hey, how does this day work for you? And so the chat was created for that purpose. It was several sessions later that some of the newer players that I brought into the game had, there was a scene where it's like, okay, so it's going to be a long rest. It's overnight. You're in a safe place. When we come back, we'll start with what, what's happening in the morning. One of the players wanted to said, Hey, can I have a conversation with during that time? And it would be so I said, sure, fine. So they actually did the chat and then other characters said, Oh, that's kind of cool. And they just started doing their own thing in the chat with the, basically the party split. And I read it about a week later. I'm like, oh, that's very cool stuff. Incorporated it into the game as the storytellers want to do. And we went from there. 
it was just something that organically happened. Now I plan for that and create things like that. We have it with our AP game where the players will talk about things. And, and part of it is camaraderie. It is just getting together as players saying, hey, how you doing, Joe? What's going on? And other part of it is when there's just information that needs to be done. And Ben's game, Benito's game, Streams of Spiro, we do a little bit when there's scenes to be cut. So as a storyteller, I try to create space for those scenes. Hey, this is the camp scene. If you guys want to chat during this time, you, you can do that. When we meet back, it'll be after all those conversations. Done. So I create space specifically for that to flourish now, but I didn't generate it. I guess the short answer is, I don't know how to answer your question. I didn't ask. They did it on their own. This is how it worked with mine. Taking uh, my cue from the way, because I'm one of the players brought into that group, and that, that chat tends to explode with scenes periodically. That's where I took the idea for the Facebook Messenger group. That's the game I was speaking of. And when I opened it for my Boiling Seas chat, I did it right from the beginning even pre-session zero, just during the invites, as I invited people, I brought them in. And I encouraged them at that point to use it to kibitz about character generation, who's going to play what, do that kind of thing, pre-session zero-ish. And that created the habit of them talking in it to each other about their characters. Like it, it immediately introduces it as a, hey, this is an in-game thing from the beginning. And then periodically, if it's getting some information that you're looking for, or you're getting some good interaction between some players about who's going to play what, and okay, I'm going to play this to kind of complement that. It's an excellent time for a storyteller to throw in a couple of quick questions like, but hey, did you think about? Or anything you can do to help keep it moving along without seeming like you're being forceful will help encourage it. But start it from the beginning, like pre-session zero, and get everybody yeah. in the habit of chatting from the beginning. And I think you'll have a much more active and, I don't know, flowy Vibrant. chat yeah. group. Vibrant. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good word. Yeah. First of all, I, lo I love the suggestion of just, again, uh, just using the theory that if you build it and if you encourage it, that players who want to play will use it. That's if we're really into the role play. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Here's my question though. How do you keep the chat scenes from taking away from cliffhangers that happen at the table? So like, for example, Luanika, I'm going to talk about the campaign that you had where, and I'm not sure if it's the Monday night or the Saturday night group that is in the north and dealing with the frost dragon and all that sort of stuff, right? Yes. Okay. So there have been several times over the course of the last several sessions where you have left that game at a point where it's like you're not able to take a long rest because you're fleeing a pack of yetis wielding machetes. Yetis and machetes, that's, that's clever. So how, how do you keep a between-game chat scene conversation with your players from interrupting a cliffhanger that you set up and say, the yetis with machetes are almost there, and that's stop. We'll talk next time. I alluded to a little bit, but I'm going to start with part one and then get, expand on what I alluded to. You have to start by knowing your group, right? You have to know what they do, what they like, what they're into. I've said it several times this weekend, and I can be quoted because I was chatting with Benito earlier today. I said, I am lousy with fantastic role players. Just lousy with them. Like I have so many of them that they're just utterly brilliant. Even a couple of them who don't think they're very good at it are fan-frickin-tastic. Looking at you, Ungar, you're fan-frickin-tastic at this, right? And even if some players don't 
necessarily go into all these chats. They're reading them, they're aware of them, and they role play on the table what they've read. So that's part one. If you know your group and what they're really good at, it makes all of this easier. I imagine there are groups who are great role players, they're fun to have at your table that wouldn't necessarily do well with this. So you have to, as you're building your campaign, learn your group, learn their strengths, know what they are, and then go with what they're bringing and what they're giving you. And you can encourage, but you can't force. You can't force somebody to do this type of stuff. There are going to be players who, look, I signed up to play for three hours every other week. That's it. You won't get me to do more. Yeah. And that's perfectly okay if that's the case. But if you've got players that might that just want be to about do more, bandwidth and time. Yeah. 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 And, but if you've got people who want and are able to do more, this is how this works. I set the scenes of when it will work. So some sessions are just that cliffhangers. And I will just announce at the end of the game. And we'll stop there. We're going to pick up immediately after, so nothing can go on in between. Done. That simple sentence says no in-between game sessions. However, I consider it part of my responsibility to the table and to the fun that people are having with these characters to allow for the conversations to happen at other times. So for all the cliffhangers I do, I also make sure there's times where it's, you're in the village, we're going to pick up the following morning. or We're on the road for the next week or two. We're going to pick up further down the road. Not much is going to happen, so you guys can have any conversations you want during that time frame. So Mm -hmm. I will just as easily do one as the other, and I try to make sure I mix and match so you won't have more than one or two cliffhangers. I think the longest stretch I did of cliffhangers was probably four sessions, and that was a big tier-ending battle that went issue to issue to issue to session and, and, and went through. And when that was done, I think there was basically time in between for the next two to three sessions. So it is about just managing that flow. It's like you don't run 15 combat scenes in a single adventure, right? You run right. a combat scene, you run an exploration scene, you run a different kind of scene. So I consider just another type of scene, almost like a, a fourth pillar, if you will. And yep. um, because of that, I just make sure I include that fourth pillar somewhat frequently the other thing that i will do is sometimes i will manage hey we're still going to keep on with the game but if it's just going to be a conversation where you're passing the information they can utilize the chat while we're gaming like when we're doing watches i might be doing a watch with somebody else and they're like hey we're just going to have a talk while we're on watch or whatever and then they'll do that chat while i'm doing the first watch and the second watch they'll be doing the chat for their watch the whole time and then it'll be there and they'll say, oh, it's in the chat room. We just had a talk, uh, unless there's anything else that came up during our watch. And then we move on. So yeah. my players are really nimble with that as well. They know where it fits and where it doesn't. And they usually ask. From a player's perspective on the cliffhanger front, I can tell you that unless it's an ambiguous cliffhanger, it's not really a factor. Because it's pretty obvious to the player that if the game cut off in mid-battle, there's not going to be time for a leisurely walk down a forest trail chat in between seconds of the battlefield. So at that point, the players automatically, just intrinsically based on the fact that it's a cliffhanger and there's not time in between, they shift to talking about the scenario. And there may be some plotting and there may be some, but what if we try this is that go on whether you want them to or not, but it's not live scenes that go directly into the game. As a storyteller, I'm okay with that. Look, these are... 
11, 12th level characters that have been battling at each other's side since they're sixth level. If the players want to say, hey, I would be planning this, that, or the other thing, I'm perfectly okay with those conversations happening for two weeks straight because guess what? As long as they're not involving information that one could not possibly know, they know each other. So there isn't right. really going to be a secret sauce in the way they conduct themselves. They should know um, how to work together automatically. So them needing to talk about it to figure out how their characters would yeah, interact. So players talking about sense. here's what I do is fine. Now streams of Spiro, because it's a live stream and because I chose to play a character who does a certain thing, the easiest way for me to play a character who specifically displays his battle prowess, his tactical knowledge and all that is I will in game have those conversations. And what I will usually do is in game, I'm going to spend this time because my character doesn't sleep. I'll just be awake on somebody else's watch and I'll be showing them my drills. I'll say, Hey, I'm going over what I do in this combat or what I'm planning to do in combat. So it won't surprise you. I don't do that. The rest of that on screen, I will then send to the chat afterwards or send because I have a big old document for it. I'll send that to the player so they can read it at their leisure over the next couple of weeks. But it basically gives them the in-game knowledge. I've done it on screen, on cam, that we had this conversation and then I supply the, the appropriate information. Yeah, because I think that's where I was going with that, is that is definitely a difference between the way that you storytell and the way that I storytell. I, for one, me personally, even her running a virtual game, do not interact with chat that is happening away from the table. I just, I, I don't. I find it distracting and I find it, for my storytelling style, I find it tough to go ahead and manage that. So I've we, we've had this situation come up even in the Patreon actual play where somebody will say, oh, I sent you a message on Facebook chat because I've got a question. And I'm like, I don't even have Facebook open. I'm running a game right now. So if players are talking back and forth, like that's fine. That's, if they want to manage that, if they want to go ahead and do that, that's fine. But I do not interact with it at all. And I certainly, and if like the number of times that like people have said, oh yeah, we sorted this out on chat. We're going to do this. I'm like, okay, well, as long as I know what you're going to do, I don't need the preamble. I don't need all that. I don't need all that. But it, it gets more complicated when they're like, hey, so we just asked you a question in chat. What do you think about that? I was like, now we're at the table. Ask me the question at the table. And I think that is very much like within the time box of the game session. Right. Between the noon to four when they're at the game, like we're at the game table. That's when these things happen. There are occasionally times that I will have to do like breakouts. Like uh, Benito is a great example of this. We're in a game session. Someone, the paladin gets abducted by a succubus and no one knows what happens except for the paladin. He's got to pull the paladin aside and go ahead and figure that out. And then they drop the paladin back and, and we, we kill them because we assume that the paladin's not the paladin anymore. Hold on a sec. Where'd you even, what? In Zencaster, it says hi. Oh, goodness. See, he already you told just you didn't... we can't do this. See, I just said I don't do that. <laughs> I was testing the theory. Yeah. You, you, no. you all he, successful he, test. Josh is well, incapable of multitasking, evidence. speaking and reading. I, uh, this is yeah. the scientific method here. He presented evidence. <laughs> I supplied yeah. a test. We have results. Yeah. And again, actually, this is a fantastic example because here's the thing is that I'm not watching the chat between the three of us as we're writing. What I'm doing is I'm keeping footnotes for me for when I go to edit this in two months about yes. what we're actually talking about. And so that's what I'm doing when I'm at the game table. That's what I'm doing is I'm so keeping track of all the changes in the plot branches and everything like that so that I know where the game is going. But it means that I'm out of resources to go ahead and, and get into chat at the table. So what I 
You are out of sync, but the is, stage is, uh, is a minor variance in our two styles, which is perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think either of us is yep. right or wrong in this, and I don't want anybody listening to think that this is uh, uh, a Josh versus Lee Wanika kind of thing. It's just we do certain right. things slightly differently, and I think they're both masterful. And this is coming as a player who loves sitting at your table. It comes as a viewer for who has watched while you're playing the game as well as the completed versions that make it to air. So I see exactly what you're talking about and I can actually understand why the chat could be distracting. What I wanted to do was talk about my experience with it. There might be better understanding with it. One, I there are a few things that I am challenged with when it comes to D&D. I am terrible about memorizing spells. Absolutely terrible. Yep. I just do not do that. It is probably why I play few spellcasters and why the Warlock is a great spellcasting cast for me because there aren't that many spells to worry about. The few I have, I know very well. Um, how many right, times right. You can, cut a, can you cut an orange? It's called Eldritch Blast before you, this is the only way to cut an orange. You love that right. analogy, Literally, don't Warlocks you? do have more spells than just Eldritch Blast. They do. And, and I'm being a bit facetious here. They have options, but they have significantly less at any one time. And because of that, I don't have as Correct. much to keep it in, in my adult brain at any given time. So when I'm storytelling, for instance, I have younger players at my table. If they go to cast a spell, sometimes they don't read the details exceptionally well. And one of my games does not run on D&D Beyond. So I don't have the ability to bring up their character sheet and give a quick hover so I can get the information I need to adjudicate the results quickly. There are other players in the game who will find that, copy and paste the details, and throw it in the chat. So it becomes my resource. It's like me opening and flipping through a book while I'm DM. And so that's how I use the chat. The other factor is, and it is very specific to the style of game I tend to run, and specifically the games I'm running now. A major part of the games I'm running are secret factions, secret agendas, and and to some extent, opposed goals. And because of that, they can't say those as openly at the table without reducing some of that wow, that was a cool scene kind of impact. Because of that, when those things come up, the chat to me is there. Usually somebody has like a secret clue or something. If I type something secretly to somebody, I won't necessarily tell anybody, hey, there's a message going on, but I will give the uh, Matt Coville point at the bottom of the screen in the doobly-doo kind of thing, and every player looks. The player that has something We'll see some. And and, and, okay. and that's how I signal that I have sent something. Because while we're gaming, while we're doing things, I will do that. I also have characters with very high percept- passive perceptions or characters who have some standing actions or situations that they may have to go off. If I have eight players at a table and only one of them notices something, I don't tell the whole table. But I also don't telegraph that one player caught something. I will type it, give my signal for the doobly-doo, that person will notice it and then they can act on the game and it displays itself much more organically, much more realistically at at the virtual table. If I were, the easiest way for me to do that is if I were at a live table, that is when I would have a a note written and pass a note. The challenge is, and this is kind of what virtual does it much better than live is now nobody sees who the note was passed to. Everybody knows a note passed. 
but nobody sees to whom the note was passed. And that's kind of how I try to use it because I'll be honest, Josh, I suffer from the same thing you do. I cannot, even in online gaming, because I was a big WoW player and I played a lot in EverQuest and Dark Age of Camelot. I can't play the game and read the chat at the same time to pay attention to what (laughs) other people are saying to me. Voice chat in online gaming was a godsend for me. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, TeamSpeak was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. But now when I'm playing a game, I try to use it for that purpose because it is perfect for the secret conversation, for the direct DM message. But I'll tell my players, I tell my players up front, I suck at looking at it. So if you send me something and I didn't notice, I apologize for blowing up your spot, but you're going to have to tell me, hey, I sent you a message. And I'm just honest about it because it's too handy not to. The one thing I don't like about it, though, is it makes it even harder for the storyteller to keep track of those things and those messages without being obvious. If that same chat is being used for the general side conversations for people not in the scene. Everything just scrolls up too fast. Too much is going on to pay attention to the important things. So what I encourage is whatever platform we're playing on, if it has a chat capability, that remains in-game only. And then the side conversations, if you're out of scene, do that in the Facebook Messenger group, which I don't pay attention to at all while I'm I'm running the table. And with my Monday night group in specific, I don't pay attention to the Facebook chat at all during game. I'm only focused on the Zoom chat. Uh, and that's so if I tried to look at two chats, pfft, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> exactly. Over. And the beauty of the Zoom chat is, when I'm done with my session, because I do record my sessions, my even my private games, not for air, but so I can go back and see where I ended on the cliffhanger. I can make sure I know positions, notes. hit points, stuff like that. Notes is that it creates a transcript of the chat, and hmm. so now, yep. like when I develop an NPC. I type the name and any details I gave into the chat that the group has noticed out uh, out loud into the chat. So now I've got a transcript of that comes out in text. I drop it into Word. I do a control find function. And the players think it's for them to make it easier for them to take notes, but secretly it's for you. Yeah, honestly, I will. I here we go. I will let you guys know how I work. I suck at remembering names. And I suck at remembering those details. I found a tool within what I was using for other purposes that makes that easier. I don't know if you've noticed, Glenn, you've gamed with me for 30 plus years. My ability to create and bring back NPCs has been vastly improved over the last two years that we've been gaming virtually. It's one of my biggest fears about getting back to the live table is I won't be able to do that as well. Take notes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to have to take notes. I'm going to have to do that. Then the challenge is, don't lose the notes before I can get them into something else and make sure I remember to bring the notes from home when I go back to the, to the store. Cause I can have all the notes in the world. If I leave them on my desk, when I go someplace else to play, I don't have my notes. It's the one beauty of the virtual. I, I will say that that is definitely, that is why at my own physical table, I would record the game sessions and then basically listen to it back again while I was in front of my computer, while I was in front of World Anvil, and type in, oh yeah, okay, so so-and-so just met an NPC. Here, Here's the details on that particular NPC. Here's where that NPC lives. Here's what this NPC's motivations are. Done. Move on. I mean, that, that was like, and that's the running joke, is that the first time that I listened to the very first session, I had five pages of things that needed to be entered into World Anvil after that session was done, five, like in Google Docs, because I was just going through taking notes on what, ha- what had happened.
Did you know you could have been listening to this episode two days ago? That's right, because early access to our episodes is only one of the benefits that we offer to our Patreon subscribers. You can get early access to every show, exclusive content, and the opportunity to throw dice with your favorite hosts every month. Right now, we're running a membership drive through the end of November for our first anniversary. If we reach 20 subscribers by that date, we will start a regular live show. And when we get to 25 subscribers, we're going to open our tables for a second Patreon-exclusive game. So if the actual play episodes aren't your thing, you can still join your hosts on the download. For more details, go check www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys, where you can subscribe for as little as $1 a month. And thank you for enjoying the show. I do also think that we are a little far afield here. I think that we're talking about something a little bit outside of the scope of the initial question. So I do want to try to rein us back in a little bit. It's tangential, though, because what we're talking about is building these side communities and how they interplay between in game or between the game session and outside of the game session. And so I think that it's an important discussion. But I, I do want to pivot this a little bit to how do we then encourage the... And actually, I mean, it doesn't sound like either of you guys need to encourage too much, frankly, is that that your games are very, very quickly using and already adapting to those those virtual environments where they can go ahead and talk back and forth. Mine did yeah. not catch on as well as Lee's did. The Boiling Seas chat is active and it does get messages back and forth and periodically it does get bits of in-game, but it's nowhere near as active as the, the Northerners for the land of the 18 seas for Lee's game. And that's part of that though, it's just going to be your players. Yeah. Yeah. Some, some, some players are very, I want to run extra scenes between games and some players just aren't. And that's okay. That is what it is. Yeah. Ooh, but on that front, and I don't know the answer to this, but I want to throw out one word of caution on the whole thing. Yep. I can say in my experience uh, and talking to people involved in games where this is heavy, that it can be frustrating if, you're a player who either isn't into the constant in between or a player whose schedule doesn't allow them to participate. Mm -hmm. When you see these chats going on and you're like, Oh man, I'm missing so much stuff. And you can't because you're the guy that got left out. And that can be a problem. And that, and that can be detrimental to party cohesion. If player engagement, you've got a few who have a lot of freedom, who have huge conversations, but a couple aren't able to participate, that can create some issues too. And there's no easy answer to that. It's just something to be aware of. Um, Not just for storytellers, but for players too. If you're one of the players that generates these scenes uh, and likes to be part of them, keep in mind that those couple of people off to the side, they get missed a lot. Try to find a way to either bring them in or fill them in. But there is no easy answer because you don't want to not do it because it's super important and it's awesome to have these extra scenes between game. And yeah. some of them that have unfolded, like the bathhouse scene, was awesome to read, even though I wasn't even part of it. That group of scenes is where that role play in your side chat actually really started to blossom and explode because yeah. everybody enjoyed them. That's actually what generated it and where it came from. But Glenn makes a brilliant point. I make sure as a storyteller, I read through those. I don't necessarily read them at the moment, but I will certainly take the time. It's actually a great refresher to the game when I go when I get ready to prep for the game to read through mm-hmm. that that lets me know where everybody's head is at in the in-between scenes so i can bring back the tone but i will pay attention to who was part of that and who wasn't and if since that's usually happening during some kind of downtime thing i will then begin my game with the characters who weren't part of that because they now are in game so let's what did you do right. during this time and i start with mm-hmm. that and then i will this is a great solution 
And then I cut to the characters who did the scene and said, so you guys are wrapping up what you did. You had your conversation. I didn't see that. And then I will use that to segue. And now we're back because they did their scene. So I don't need to give redo that scene. And it works brilliantly for my Monday night game because that's a game that I run less than two hours uh, a night every other week. So some of those role play scenes that need to happen because we don't have that game. It's not a four hour game like my Saturday game where I would necessarily have that at the table. Those scenes would be just as brilliant at the table as they were there and they would have happened to some extent. But we don't necessarily have that time during the work week. So we've really just tripped into, fell into, created, blossomed, evolved this great system to do that and still keep the breadth and depth of the game. Or it's parsed down so you can keep the at-table time on the active scenes. Yeah, it it works well. So I want to build on that point a little bit, uh, Glenn, about how to you know, how to manage when different players have different times. And it's been a technique that I have used, although not a lot, but somewhat sparingly, where you sort of have, it's not really two different games going because there's a lot of overlap between what are kind of chat or play-by-post sessions and table sessions. But if you, and, and I think we've seen this before with Benito and Alanis also, is that there is uh, there is a group of, of nobles that are talking on the side about the things that are happening at the table because they are aware of the, uh, they're aware of the heroes and they're aware of all that stuff. And so they're, they're sitting around their fine mahogany carved tables with their goblets of wine discussing like when people would go have picnics while World War One was happening. Like just observing what is going on in the campaign session itself. And that gives the storyteller the opportunity to dribble out bits and pieces of of plot and of character and of, of other NPCs and things like that. If they send if the uh, if they determine that they need to, someone to go mess with them or something like that, you know that that's it gives them the opportunity to play through that a little bit. And I've liked that before because I think it alleviates uh, a couple of different issues with that. It alleviates kind of the time stop issue. It alleviates the not every player can interact kind of issue, but it is in effect running a second game. And so it has that same overhead. You've got to make sure that it's internally consistent. You've got to make sure it's kept in sync with the uh, with the actual physical game and everything like that. It's, it sounds a lot like when uh, with the live action role playing game that you were talking about, about how there would be all this out of games, not out of game. I keep saying out of, se- out of session stuff happening that then needs to get wove into the session to go ahead and make sure that that nobody that's at the session is left out. And, and that's why I was bringing it up to make sure people are aware because there's no easy answer for how to mitigate it, but you got to find a way to get those people who weren't able to participate back involved and back integrated yeah. into the scene. Lee's method works pretty well. That sounds pretty awesome too, but it sounds like more work to run two separate games. It is It, it is more work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It absolutely is. Yeah. And so it's, if anybody you know, out there has any suggestions on how they manage it, because that one is a, is one that it can be a concern and we want to do our best for all of our players. You got any suggestions on yeah. how to manage that and how to help bring those quieter players, whether it's at the table, because the same dynamic happens at the table too. You got your boisterous people and you got your quiet people. Yeah, uh, to help yeah. bring everybody together and bring out the quieter folks or the ones who didn't have the opportunity to participate. We'd love to hear what you think. One of the things we have to do is we have to self evaluate quietly or on the spot why people are being quiet. Are they being quiet because they're being outspoken by the more boisterous or charismatic types at the table? Are they being quiet because they don't feel comfortable doing a thing? Or is there some other reason? Maybe they've got other life things going on, so they're just being quiet in that moment or in that session or set of sessions. You kind of have to have a sense of why that is. So I have some players who are just not comfortable speaking up. And if that's their thing, 
then there really isn't a problem. There's an acknowledgement, and you as a storyteller just need to make sure you give them their space so the things that they are comfortable with, they get their moments to shine. If it is an issue where they feel like they're being outspoken so they're shutting down, then that's something where you as a storyteller have a host of tools at your disposal to fix that. Sometimes it's going into role-playing sessions and leading with the quieter person or making sure that you do role-play sessions or exploratory pillars in something similar to, but not precisely as mechanical as initiative order. So it's like uh, you you circle around much easier virtually than at a live table, by the way, because on Zoom, Mm -hmm. I can just literally go around around each screen and make sure everybody got their moment to speak. So that's how you happen if it's a shutdown issue. If there's something going on in somebody's life, Again, that's not a table problem. So it, it really depends on why they're being quiet. But acknowledge, but if it is the first thing, they're being outspoken. That's where any and all ideas to give people their moment to, to shine, if that's the moment they want, could be useful. We have some, we've talked about some in the past, but we welcome every other tool we can possibly put in that toolbox. So everybody has the ability to be heard, acknowledged, and expressed. Those are all very good points. When I'm saying quiet, I don't necessarily mean quiet withdrawn. Uh, I was sticking with it in terms of typing or anything else too. I mostly just meant when somebody's not able to participate and how to help encourage bringing everybody back together gently. Those were all very excellent points about when you got somebody being quiet for possibly other reasons as opposed to just the game got away from it. I'm going to try to distill a little bit of what we've been talking about here and see see where else we see gaps that would need to be filled to fully flesh out the question here a little bit. Obviously, the first thing that is... On the onus of the storyteller or the whoever's running the game itself is to go ahead and make sure that there is a space created and pop well publicized that this sort of activity can happen. A space where players can be encouraged to go and have these sorts of conversations either at the session or outside of the session or whatever, but that makes sure that that and that everybody knows what the space is. So that's step one is make build the river before you try to bring the horse there to go ahead and, and have them drink. And then the other side of that is to, once the space is created, then without forcing the issue, but but make sure that, again, as the storyteller, you're putting enough kind of into that channel to go ahead and generate responses from your players. And then it's like starting a fire when you're using the flint and tinder to go ahead and get your spark. Eventually, the spark will catch and eventually the fire will start. But you, sometimes it takes some time to go ahead and, and, and work it to go ahead and get that to happen. Does that seem to be an accurate breakdown of the of the experiences that you guys have had? Yeah. One of the things that I would also mention that I don't think we mentioned yet is Discord is also a, a pretty good option here. I sure. like Facebook because it, for a couple of reasons, it's a pl- platform I'm familiar with and I've been using it. But I don't see Discord as being uh, dissimilar. And Discord also has the ability to add voice or a quick face if you make it a call yep. kind of thing. And if breakouts. everybody's amiable and breakout for that. Uh, and, yeah. and breakouts would be much easier in Discord yeah. than specifically in Facebook. So I think there's some benefits there if that's a platform you're on and are using. It's something that in the years 
year to come, we may see more of here. It's something that we're looking at and and, and may move to. So yep. there's that. And I think you did a great job of kind of going over some of the things. In terms of making sure that everybody say... knows about it, though, that part, the advertising. Yeah. Again, bring it right up at session zero, created at the start of game. Make sure everybody's on the same page, knows what it's yep. for. You might even need to put some uh, social contract in place to govern yep. the chat. Yes. Yep. To make Absolutely. sure that somebody's not throwing out some kind of really horrible expressions or comments that could be deliberately and horribly offensive to others, that oh. kind of thing. Hopefully you don't need to, but you never know. Once in a while, it's not a bad idea to... That's why we have social contracts in the, first, in the first place, is just to make it not a surprise when it comes up. At your session zero, you're going to discuss the social contract, what's okay, what's not okay, the expectations, being a good person effectively. And when you're then talking about these channels, you simply say the same rules apply. While it is a different medium and a different scenario, the conduct should be held by the, to the same standards. Absolutely. And that's, that could be a quick, easy thing to throw in there, too, when you're doing that conversation is just, hey, same rules apply to the chat as they do at the table. Keep it respectful. Yeah. And so here's a question about that, then. I just want to go ahead and, again, get your take on this, because this is something that I don't do a lot of. And so I'm trying to drip information from your brains here a little bit. In a situation like that, if it is not closely monitored by you guys at at any time, right? I mean, it could be like, it, maybe it's more closely monitored by you guys than at other times and that kind of thing. But if you're not closely monitoring it, how do you protect that the lines and veils that were established at session zero are being respected? Even and even in a, even beyond like lines and veils, but there's a second question in here too. Even beyond that, how do you ensure that that the train stays on the track? Like we we so we just recorded and just put out our episode about collaborative world building and we talked about how putting those kind of sessions in a frame where they can live and breathe is important. How do you make sure if you're not closely monitoring yeah. that chat group that that all of a sudden the thermonuclear device doesn't get invented? I get what you're saying, and it definitely is a concern. And the answer is you have to monitor it. If you're going to make it officially part of your game as opposed to something that the players invent on their own, at which point you don't have any control or say over it. But it, if you're making it actively part of your game and saying this is an acceptable space to do it, you have to monitor it. There is no other choice. You don't have to monitor it real time because that can be a little bit unrealistic to expect. We don't have the ability to have a, an, a moderator in the chat all the time. But you got to keep up within a couple of days or so. And when something, if something comes up, reach out. But I can also say that if something comes up, usually you'll have a player or two that's going to direct message you saying, hey, did you see this? That's fair. Because yep. I've had that happen. And then you address it. You can't stop it from happening, just like you can't at your table, no matter how much everybody talks about lines and veils and making sure that we're respecting them. If you have a player sitting at your table who chooses not to respect them, you can't stop it and put the words back in once they come out of their mouth. Yep. All you can do from that point is react and control is react control put out fires and take steps to make sure it doesn't happen again whether that means take, take administrative action yeah making sure that the play, that player or person understands that they cannot do that ever again and you believe them or removing them from the game if you have to yep. yeah and that's just to to build on that point real quick make sure that the player understands that this no this is no longer an in-game situation if lines and veils are being violated this isn't something right. where other characters have to dress down the character for trying to do whatever they did this is a player issue right at the moment a veil is violated or a line is crossed the moment that takes place it stops being an in-game thing altogether 
And as soon as you as storyteller are aware of that situation, whether it's another player brings it to your attention or you're reviewing the chat and you see it, all bets are off. Stop reading. There's no context or coming back from those things. Get a hold of the other person. I would recommend voice, but if a separate private chat is the only thing that you have available, use the tools you have available and you have that very direct and private conversation. This activity, this discussion, this verbal action is unacceptable at my table and amongst my group, and it can never happen again, period. Yep. That's it, especially if they're crossing lines. Reaching a veil, you can say, hey, man, you got to do better than that. We've talked about this. That's something that somebody really asked to not really happen. You should have been cognizant, right? That's a conversation. Crossing a line is direct and requires immediate action. If you think that they made a mistake and they're never going to do it again, you can give them the one warning. Feel free to do that. It's your table. Do what you got to do to make your table run, live your life the way you want to live. Give them the one warning. They do it again. You better back up your words. I mean, if somebody's breaking a line, crossing a line, I look at lines and veils as very separate, as the same thing. When somebody says to me, I have a veil, unless they've been very clear, hey, man, I don't care if you talk that it happens. I just don't want it on camera. Very true. Then that's one thing. But if they say I have a veil, I'd really rather not hear this kind of commentary. I personally try my best to conduct myself as though that's a line. So crossing that right. is yeah. the lower severity. To me, crossing a line, there's not there's very little degree in crossing lines. That's just- only an intent. And I say that because of a personal experience that I have in a game that I run actively. And that's why I'm trying to throw out the mitigation. There it's very hard to throw up anything as a black and white kind of thing. And in this instance, the line is drawn over something that in mainstream society, all types of genre fiction, whether it be filmed or printed, it comes up all the time. So it's a big problem for the player, but it's an easy mistake to make. So it is a line, but intent matters. If it's just you happened to mention this thing because it's your go-to thing and you just, oh my God, I didn't think I'm so sorry. It's all a matter of there's, you can't make it that hard and fast. There's always degrees of severity, but obviously when somebody goes way over the line to the point of no return, then you do what you got to do. But that's talking about not just action, but intent where they're doing it. I don't care if it's a line or a veil. F you, I'm doing what I want. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that, that's jumping then, over. Then that. you're out. Yeah. yeah. The intent's got to matter. Effectively, what we're talking about is this type of chat, this beyond the table scenes of uh, this fourth pillar, if you will, is specifically part of the game and therefore governed by the rules you as a storyteller and you as a gaming group have set for your table. So you should treat it as such. That's the long and short. Uh, All of that was to deeply explain (laughs) that fact. It is part of your game. Yes. Don't treat it separately. It is part of your game and handle it accordingly. Totally agree. Yeah. So let's uh, let's try to bring a, to bring a, a close to this here to go ahead and see again. Just to re- reiterate the point, I know I said this a few minutes ago, but the easy mechanical answer to how do you do this is you create a space and then through your own actions encourage your players to use it to go ahead and and build these scenes and to go ahead and, and build these things. There are 
some variations in terms of what the content of that kind of secondary channel can and should be. We talked about a couple of different tools. I fully support and agree with your uh, your discussion on, on Discord there, Lewinika, because mm-hmm. again, it brings a lot of things that you may want. As opposed to Facebook chat is like a, a it's a brick, right? It's like Facebook chat is what Facebook chat is. Uh, you can set up the group. It's then easy to go ahead and talk with one person on Facebook chat, but not easy to go ahead and talk with three people on Facebook chat. So maybe you need more flexibility than than that allows, but certainly uh, Discord options that. There's a hundred other tools that are available too. Like we're not, we're certainly not sponsored by Facebook or Discord or any of these folks. Hashtag. Hashtag. We'd be happy to be, yes, absolutely. Exactly. We'd be happy to be, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're happy for Discord and Facebook, just saying. There are plenty of tools at your disposal. Find the one that works for you. Um, but really, it is as easy as creating the environment and encouraging your players to using to use it and mm-hmm. let them know what it should be used for. Right. Should it be used for like monumental scenes when you're being chased by the Yetis with machetes that are eating spaghetti? No. Is it something that should be used for discussion when you end, end a, a session and you're taking a long rest uh, or on guard duty or something like that in between? Yes. Like those are the kind of things that you should be you'd be steering towards that or away from that. There's a bunch of variations within that that we've talked about over this last last hour and change. So gentlemen, anything else that that we want to say on this topic before we pull this episode to a close? You could also use it fantastically for collaborative world building. During their campfire scene, you could all you could be throwing out prompts to have them do things and now you've got a printed record where you could also add it to World Anvil later because your players are helping invent things about the world as you go. Yeah, I, I love that you brought that up because you knew how near and dear a collaborative world building is to my heart. But absolutely, it is a fantastic modicum for that. Sometimes the... I'm not going to call it a knock on collaborative world building, but at least the uh, one of the complications of the way that I do collaborative world building is that it is a little bit on the spot, right? It's happening at the game session. I'm picking the order that I'm asking people and I'm throwing a random quote at them or a random prompt at them that they need to respond to in the immediate. There's some people that can get a little bit of a, a little bit locked by that process. What doing this away from the table, away from the session allows you to do is to let players manage their time a little bit and really think through what they want to go ahead and what they want to say and how they want to respond to the prompt. I know this is something in in the campaign that ended not that long ago where I was playing my swashbuckler. There was a chat that was going on uh, for that game. And after the game was done, the storyteller sent out a prompt about what does your player do next or what does your character do next? What is next? And man, the ability to sit down for a couple of days and really think through what my swashbuckler was going to do next was really, really cool. I totally agree with you on that one. I absolutely love the fact that was done for Electo and I love your answer even better. And my character is ready for the results of that specific discussion yeah i've heard that there are some shenanigans on that front yeah we'll we'll see how that plays out i've heard that there are some shenanigans shenanigans leveled and awaiting magic (laughs) items fabulous yeah and you just adjust your prompts if you've got a quick off the cuff prompt it's gonna that's gonna generate that kind of response at the table great give them a more open-ended prompt where they can work though and you never know what you might get for your world like you're talking about i think that's fantastic yep awesome 
All right, Tim, we hope that, that this satisfied your answer here. Hope that uh, hope that you're having fun and uh, finding some ways to go ahead and encourage further role play and, uh, and exploration away from uh, from your table. Let, let us know how it turns out. We'd love to go ahead and hear follow-up. And as we alluded to at the beginning of the episode, I think all of us are of the same mindset that it's probably time for another Questions from the Audience episode relatively soon here. Anyway. All that to say, gentlemen, fabulous time as always. Thank you very much for your insights. I really appreciate it. Uh, you guys have much more experience on this than I do, at least uh, in D&D. Everybody out there listening, we will talk to you again next time. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. Also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you'd like early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual play episodes, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash TT Journeys. Listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, we would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening, for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.